Here we go. Hello, Amazon sellers, and welcome to Amazon Seller Happy Hour. So happy to be here with a fantastical guest. We have Taylor Smits of My FBA Prep. He is the co-founder there, and we are going to talk about all things growth and outsourcing and a little bit of logistics. And these are all problems that I think sellers have faced more deeply in the last 12 to 18 months than ever before in the long, what, 10 or 11 year, 12 year history of the FBA program. So welcome, Taylor. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Leslie. Nice to be here. So tell me from your experience as because you've been on the seller side, you've been on the service provider side, uh, what is the level of difficulty and challenge that you're seeing out there in the marketplace for sellers right now on these issues that frankly used to be pretty automatic like oh i'm just going to send in my inventory and my inventory will arrive on time and be received and there will be a place for it so give a little perspective about now versus say pre-covid yeah well at my fba prep we've always kind of gone by this mantra which is that collectively we're all in this amazon community because amazon scales Unfortunately, um, FBA prep does not scale. That, that was the start of our business. And what we've seen throughout the last one and a half, two years with COVID is that that statement has rung even more true. Um, at a high level, you see things like uh, delays in shipments from Asia. If you're manufacturing over there, um, you're seeing crazy four, six, 10x uh, container rates if you're shipping from there. And then as if that wasn't bad enough, you get sort of the, the trifecta of the perfect storm, if you will, which is that Amazon uh, is, is limiting the storage capacity, um, or at least traditionally in, in the past six months has, has really throttled what um, they're allowing sellers to send in. Um, we're seeing that opening up a little bit now, but it is still not like what you alluded to, the easy days, which is, um, hey, I manufactured this product. I, I'm, I'm going to be an Amazon native company. Let me just have my inventory sitting at the fulfillment centers and I'll fulfill it FBA. Um, those days are, are, are no longer upon us. So um, that's that's what we're seeing for most of our um, customers, our clients. And and um, a lot of times what we've become at my FBA prep is uh, a stop along the supply chain where we will check in and receive clients inventory from Asia and then uh, at the cadence that they ask of us, we'll, we'll sort of drip feed it into Amazon is how we say it internally. You know, what's really funny is that uh, to me, the way FBA was kind of sold to me as a great idea, what, 11 years ago when I first became a seller, was that it was almost like it's a Ron Popeil. It's a fix it and forget it. You just, yeah. you send the stuff and it's all magical and it happens on its own and then you never worry about it. And, um, you know, at the time I could send as much as I wanted. I could send nothing for six months and then send in 10,000 units and nobody cared. And And the contrast now, to me, it's really kind of creating winners and losers and it's weeding people out who can't do the work or can't figure out the solution. So I think what you just said is really interesting because one big concern for sellers that are private label sellers is they never want to go out of stock because they lose their best seller rank. So this idea of dripping the inventory in and making sure you don't, I'm assuming that that's a don't run out of stock strategy. Absolutely. Um, 
Uh, I can't take credit for this, but uh, Jamie Davidson, who's kind of a, a popular educator in the in the Amazon space, um, we're, we're you know in, in the middle of December here in, in Q4, and his uh, top three Q4 tips are stay in stock, stay in stock, and stay in stock. So um, just echoing echoing what you've said, and um, uh, you know our our purpose at my FBA Prep is to enable sellers to do that. Um, and and to outsource their, their prep and logistics um, and and we're specific we're specifically trained and, and we our whole company is based on this idea that we um, we bring together the 3PL knowledge which is an industry 20 30 40 years uh, but but with the Amazon FBA prep knowledge which is a, a much shorter time frame you alluded to 10 years heck most of the clients we serve are, are not even 10 years old um, right. But you know the Amazon prep requirements can can change over time. Sometimes quite a bit. Most of the time, not so much. Little tweaks here and there. Um, but you know our expertise is to is to know how Amazon wants the items prepped, and then to be able to partner with our clients and strategically advise them on how we can effectively get done what they want to get done. And spoiler alert: most of our clients are saying to us first and foremost is let's stay in stock during Q4. So curious here because. I'm a small seller, but I can see how you would need certain size sellers. What stage of growth, what size seller, does it make sense for them to work with you? And what size seller are you willing to work with? Because, you know, there are people who are smaller sellers who it's a side gig and the idea of dripping in the inventory and having it always available, literally not possible for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do think it makes sense stepping outside of my FBA prep for a second. It makes sense for many sellers to consider using um, using a, a, a 3PL or an FBA prep center. Um, and there are a couple a couple of reasons for that. Um, I'd say the, the, the main one that I always go to is you want to understand what business you're in, um, whether you're wholesale or private label. Chances are you got into the business uh, to be good at Amazon. And prep and logistics is, is, is not something that you want to master. I also recommend people start and at least understand how it needs to be done on their own, whatever that looks like, uh, because it will, it will help your conversations with an FBA prep provider um, when you get there. In terms, of, in terms of specifically to us, what size sellers do we service? Typically on, on, the, on the low end, um, we have sellers that are 10,000 to 15,000 units monthly. Um, we have made exceptions there, so I, I don't want to steer anyone away from working with us or reaching out, but typically that, that would be a, a smaller customer for us. And then, um, I think the, on the larger side, I, I think we have a, a client that's done 800,000 units with us in a, in a single month. So, um, the, you know, the spectrum is, is wide and, um, you know, we are, we are much more of a B2B shop now in terms of not really, uh, servicing new Amazon sellers, typically it's when they have, you know, five, 10 employees is when they say, okay, our employees are focusing on things like PPC. They're focusing on, you know, inventory levels and, and, uh, listing optimizations. And they want to, again, get the, uh, the FBA prep off their plate. That's, that's about the time they come to us. Um, in layman's terms, I can just say when your partner, and I mean, your, your relationship partner, uh, starts to get mad at you for having too much inventory in the kitchen or in the garage. That's that's the first sign you should start thinking about it. And 
for whatever reason, funny enough, that, that actually happens to be many people's story as to when they decided to use a, a, a provider for this service. So I may or may not sometimes resemble that remark. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was the case for me. So, so way back in the day, uh, when I was focused more on being a seller and not a, not a service provider in an agency, we sold on Amazon and eBay. We still do sell on Amazon and eBay, but not so much eBay. Uh, we had a lot of eBay then, and we had what is uh, lovingly referred to as the eBay death pile, if you've ever heard that terminology. Oh, yeah. And it's oh, yeah. like all the cool stuff that you bought to sell on eBay or your returns from Amazon, you're going to sell on eBay. And it just, since you have to do individual listings for everything, it becomes the death pile, right? So... <laughs> I am I'm all too familiar with that. Typically, it's like a high school or a college intern who gets tasked with doing the eBay listings of all the suppressed or unfulfillable inventory that you recall back and you say, I can't send this in as, as new or, or even used. It's going to eBay. Yeah. Or in our case, I may or may not use child labor at times for these things. Yeah. That's OK. That's OK. Ice cream is a currency. So I'm with you. I've, I've, see, I've seen it all. So. Yeah, well, hey, uh, you know, if you've, if you've got child labor, you can always compensate them and write it off on your taxes. Um, so talk to me some, aside from logistical issues and not having a significant other who hates you because of your death pile and your stacks of inventory in that extra bedroom that was supposed to be for something else, uh, what are some other benefits? Why do people need to think about using an FBA prep service um, instead of just, you know, stickering in the middle of the night on their own? Yeah. Well, when getting back to our, our phrase that um, Amazon scales, but FBA prep does not, what starts to happen at, at some stage of growth for most companies is, is they take a step back, uh, a business owner or, or a COO or, or kind of anyone running the day-to-day -day of the company, and they realize how much time they're spending at their warehouse. Um, I'll, I'll just give a quick anecdote here. I am continued to be surprised by the number of um, large Amazon sellers who come to work with us who are currently running their own warehouse. What I mean by that is I am not competing with other service providers who do what we do to win their business. I'm competing with them. And, mm -hmm. and so we always, I always start out with, well, what are you looking to do here? And they say, I'm looking to get my life back. I can't travel. I can't go on vacation. Um, I spend more time, you know, walking the warehouse floor, helping people create shipments and making sure everything's going well, as opposed to being um, working on my business and, and, and the growth. And so what most sellers want to focus on, on the private label side, um, they want to focus on new products and, and all of the, um, let's say, sort of uh, traffic optimizations you can do to, to, to increase your sales. That's really the business that people want to be in on the private label side. On a wholesale um, or, or like the agency side, you, you want to be focusing on providing value to the brands that you're representing, if, if that's your model, um, where you're optimizing the listings and, and kind of growing the brand that way. Um, rarely ever does anyone want to, to focus on FBA prep because it's quite frankly not a differentiator for um, for for an Amazon seller in terms of talking to his or her clients or in terms of, you know, what they, what they're making their money from doing if they're in private label and they're sourcing and, and creating new products and building a brand. Um, so that's, you know, that's the value we provide is we take something that's very difficult um, to, to scale and we take it off the plates of our clients 
uh, and give them their time back to go further focus on the things that they got in the business to do in the first place. So if your entire day, all you're thinking about is what time the UPS guy comes with the truck and the scanner, or if you're obsessing all day about the 2 p.m. MFN cutoff, it may be time <laughs> to start thinking about outsourcing because you're right. What are the things you outsource? The, the things that are not differentiators. You keep yeah. the differentiators in-house and do a great job. The things that aren't differentiators, why are you why are you torturing yourself and like looking at your watch all day? Cause I I've had to sweat the UPS guy. Is he going to show today? What's up? Where is, I mean, that is not a place I want to be. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll just drive the point home one more time. Almost every client I've ever worked with uses an outsourced um, accounting firm or, or CPA at the end of the year to work on their taxes. That's that, that's just the most normal thing ever. Um, so people often ask me, well, what's the benefit of using uh, a prep service? And I, and I use that analogy. It's, it's just like that. You, you didn't go to, you know, we have people who worked um, for Amazon in supply chain on our advisory team. Um, we have people who our most recent account manager, we hired very similar to Riverbend. We look for people who have worked at Amazon or worked at Amazon service providers. So you are getting a specialist when you work with us, which my guess is, is, is a skill you've learned if you're currently running your own warehouse not that you intentionally you know, went to school for or spent time doing. So just like you would outsource your accounting, it makes sense to outsource your prep. Um, and the last thing I would say is just um, when I talk to the clients on, on an introductory call, typically our sales team has, has gotten some information from them. And if they want to talk to somebody on the warehouse side, oftentimes that's me. Um, and, and I always ask them if they have their own warehouse to say, tell me about your facility. Um, and, and one client that comes to mind um, who's big in the, in the beauty space, he says, yeah, we have 18,000 square feet. I said, wow, that's, that's an awful lot. Um, how many employees do you have? He says, oh, we have somewhere between 15 and 20 employees at any given time. I said, how much of the 18,000 square feet is your office versus how much is the warehouse floor? He says, oh, we have a great warehouse. It's 16,000 square feet. We have 2,000 square feet of office. I said, that's really interesting. How often in your calls with your clients does it come up that your warehouse is so big and so nice and whatever? He says, well, we don't ever really talk about it. I said, exactly. It's not the business you're in. So um, a lot of times, you know, if, if you can't think of your time being um, disproportionately taken away by doing your own prep, think of your physical warehouse space or, or the place that you operate your business. If it's being overrun, something like 80 or 90% of it is dedicated to warehouse it's not really the business you're in. It's the business you had to be in just to, just to keep your business going. Um, and I think the, the FBA prep space has sort of caught up with what I would call like the, the 3PL market where it's, you know, you have existing fulfillment and direct to consumer warehouses. You've had that for 20, 30 years. Now you're having lots of FBA prep providers coming along um, and saying, Hey, we actually know how to service you. And what my FBA prep wants to be is sort of, the enterprise level or the household name. If the Riverbend Consulting is the name for Amazon Legal, we want to be my FBA prep, the name for um, Amazon FBA prep. And, and certainly we do other things like direct to consumer and FBM and bundles and kidding, but that's what we're going for uh, is to be the enterprise level provider. Well, and let's, let's pretend for a second that um, you, the 18,000 square feet of warehouse space and the all the employees who are in it, and if you've got a forklift, 
and you've got the electricity and all the other things. So let's pretend for a second that the cost of that is the exact same as using a 3PL and, you know, prep center. I have no idea what the ratios would be, but let's just say it is um, the headaches with owning or leasing that space, managing the maintenance on that space, managing all of those human beings and their overhead and their problems and all of the problems, the risk, there's always risk when something's, you know, in-house. So all of that together, you have to throw that in with the cost also of operating your own thing, right? Yeah. Just the stress of it. Because to me, if you find a really good outsource partner, you have to find a really good one. But if you find a really good outsource partner, that stress level should be lower for you than managing all the people in that space. That's a lot of overhead. That's a lot of overhead. Yeah. And and hiring has... has um not been easy let's say from beginning of COVID till present um there's been a roller coaster of ups and downs with the ability to easily hire um employees for warehouses and and you know labor right now is, is just it's just difficult um every uh every warehouse in our network says that but um the nice thing is when you're when you're in that business you tend to know how to scale it better than someone who's again by accident in that business because you've just had to do your own prep in order to in order to keep things going for, with your FBA business. So if I want to look for a reliable, great 3PL so that I'm not thinking about this, because this is not something I want to think about, um, what is what makes a great partner? How do I interview someone and figure out if they're the right partner, if, whether it's you or someone else? How do I know that you're my guy? Yeah. So most important, most important is the FBA knowledge and expertise. You will get a lot of warehouses. And what you want to understand is specifically, is that warehouse or is that FBA prep center qualified to do the type of work for your business? So for example, if you, uh, if you merchant fulfill because you have big heavy items and that's just better for your business strategy, you need to understand, um, has, does your warehouse have experience doing that? You know, do they have three different carriers they're able to use? Do they have discounts that you don't have access to because they're, again, a B2B provider and you're one small business, they might have volume discounts. Um, are they using technology like maybe a ship station, which would sit on top of, of um, Amazon and, and you can actually just send out the merchant fulfilled orders through ship station, which there's some benefits and efficiencies there. So that's an example of specifically, do they know um, what I need them to know to, to help me in my business. Um, one, one key thing to be careful of there is there is a huge difference on the warehouse floor between I'm a warehouse that services one P and I, and I have clients that are, have a vendor central relationship with Amazon, which basically just becomes a picking and packing operation versus a three P Amazon seller, um, where you're using Amazon seller central ASC and, and you own that listing. Um, what you want is you want to be working with a warehouse that knows what you do. And I'm assuming for most of um, the audience here, it's going to be on the three P side. So um, that might not seem like a big deal, but it's a huge thing to be careful of because that, oh, yeah. that really uncovers like the level of um, experience and expertise you're going to be getting. Um, and then the second sort of biggest um qualifier you should be evaluating people on is, is just communication. What does that look like? Who do I get to communicate with 
when your warehouse is doing my prep. I'll tell you at my FBA prep, one of the most common um, pieces of feedback we get from our happy clients is that they love their account manager. We have account managers who are tied to particular clients and who are supposed to know everything that's going on from the purchase order, um, from to the receiving, to the prep and to the shipment back into Amazon. And um, our clients can use our technology to see any stage of that process. We use this analogy of a Domino's pizza tracker. Any of the stages along the way, you know, we received the PO, it's been uploaded um, in the system. The PO landed, we've checked it in, we're prepping it, we've sent it to FBA, it's received at FBA. That gets shown in our portal. So there's a technology piece that we, we kind of share so that people have real-time communication. But the account managers are there on standby um, um, for our clients. And if you think of, um, uh, if you think of like going back to looking at colleges for people in your family, or if anyone can remember when, when they were in university, um, there's like the student to teacher ratio. We have a really strong ratio, which is account manager to client. Um, we have some account managers who just have one client. We have other account managers who have three, four clients, but you're not, uh, uh you're not, a name on a long list of names, you know, your account manager, I guarantee you, you'll have his or her cell phone. Um, you will talk via text message or on the phone. It's not all done via email. It's not a ticketing system. You have a personal relationship with somebody who knows Amazon and knows FBA prep. Um, that is huge because most warehouses don't have the infrastructure or, or don't have the teams built out where someone who knows what needs to be done can get that update from the warehouse from the warehouse manager from the team on the floor so a good question to ask is will i be able to speak to the person who's looking at the inventory or will i be able to speak with someone who can actually help solve my problems if something gets stuck if there's something broken how do i get pictures to go back to my manufacturer etc cetera, etc cetera. and we do that with a an amazing account management team at my fba prep well, and that's a great question to ask. It's not a common thing anymore. And I know this because we hear from a lot of people that for our business, it's a big deal that we answer our phone. Mm -hmm. uh, there are so many companies that there is no human to answer the phone. You get a phone tree and then you leave a voicemail and then someone gets back to you and you're not sure if that's going to be a voice, you know, a voice call or an email yeah. or whatever. It's a big deal to have someone to talk to. That is a that is a problem with service providers now. And that's a great question to ask when you're interviewing different prep centers. You know, is there a human I'm going to get to talk to? Will they know my account? Or is it just a random human who may or may not know my yeah. account? Yeah. So, yeah. And especially if you're doing volume, that would be absolutely huge. So, okay, right now, because we were talking earlier about supply chain problems, um, how if you're a multi-channel seller, uh, how can you make sure that you're actually going to be able to send out the products where they need to be? And how can you use a prep center um, or a 3PL as a partner in that? Uh, is, is this something that does it make sense to order larger quantities than you usually would? Or are you sending some stuff by, uh, by air and some by sea or to different ports? Or, you know, tell me what strategies are you seeing people use? so that they can use a center like yours and actually have a more steady stream for their inventory. Yeah. 
Um, the, the number one thing, let's say in the last six months that we've been encouraging our, uh, our clients to do is, is look at other ports that are not called long beach. Um, most, most everyone I know in the Amazon space for, for some good reasons, but most of it is just lack of knowledge. Um, in fact, it, you know, I attended a session at, at, at Prosper and, and that was the same day I was hanging out with some of my friends at Riverbend. Um, and, and it was all on supply chain and port congestion and customs. And one of the things that I learned there is that there are actually hundreds of ports in the U.S., whereas everyone kind of assumes there's three, four, five. We hear a lot, a lot, a lot about everything near Los Angeles, New Jersey, Miami, sometimes Houston. Beyond that, I don't hear those names often. One of the, um, one of the, the ports that we love um, is, is Savannah. It tends to be um, a little bit more expensive than, than Long Beach, but you cannot put a price on staying in stock, getting back to what we were talking about earlier. And a comparison that we often use is the Port of Savannah um, is basically like, if you think of airports, it's, it's like going to Amsterdam or it's like going to Dubai in the airport um, and comparing that experience to going to, let's say, JFK or going to O'Hare in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Long Beach is old. It takes a very long time um, for the chassis to go through there. That's the, the terminology for the trucks that are going in and out. The system is antiquated where um, you, you can't actually, if you're a trucker, just show up and pick something up. The, the order is wrong and inefficient. Again, using an analogy, it would be like how we board the, the planes from front to back. And that's fine in, in an airline situation, but it's not okay when you're talking about 300 ships sitting on the water, you know, waiting, waiting to get in and, and unload. So um, Savannah has, has much better technology. It's much newer um, uh, port with, with, you know, better in and out technology, much quicker. Um, and then you can very quickly get to a warehouse. Uh, we, have, we have a couple of warehouses in, in the greater Atlanta area. And then if you go a little bit north, we have, um, two more in, in Tennessee, like in the Nashville area, right outside of Nashville. Um, and we often are having clients look at, you know, well, I don't want to pay more to go to, to Savannah than I am to going to um, Long Beach or, or Port of Los Angeles. I say, well, you know, what's it worth to you if it's going to sit, if it's going to sit for a few months out in California, wouldn't you rather have that inventory? And we're, we're talking like, you know, high hundreds or low thousands of dollars of a difference, but you're in stock you know, six weeks earlier, if, if you're able right. to make fifth. So we've seen some really, really good, um, like efficiencies to be had by, by going, uh, into a port like Savannah doesn't have to be there, but like them. And I'll give you a little secret, which is a lot of our larger clients, like the aggregators, they're coming to us and they're saying, will you be our partner in our strategy to diversify out of and away from California? And we say, sure, here's where we can help you out. You know, we look at we look at Texas, we look at Georgia, we look at New Jersey, we look at Florida in, in Miami, um, and we have warehouses near all these ports. And we say, let us know what works for you and, and we'll get your operation based out of there. Um, and, and so that, that I think will save you more time and keep you in stock and, and ultimately money um, than any of the other optimizations like, like ordering more. Um, you know, I, I try not to get involved with um, explaining to my clients what they should or shouldn't order. But looking at ports is, is a really, really simple one. Even your freight forwarder should be able to do that for you. 
Um, and then by the time it lands at our warehouse, what we are trying to do for our clients, people always ask me, what does the future look like? What does growth look like? I say, look, we're all on Amazon to scale. I started this conversation saying that. However, um, lots of the big clients as well, they're looking to diversify. What happens if my Amazon account gets shut down even for a little bit, right? I, how do I prevent my sales from going off a cliff and going to zero on any given day? So um, it, you know, multi-channel is, is what I heard all of 2020 and 2021. Now it's sort of omni-channel. How am I anywhere where um, customers are looking for my products? Big, um, big recently has been sort of Walmart fulfillment services is turning up uh, as well as a lot of, a lot of brands saying we should um, look to finally do, you know, our own website and, and get some email marketing efforts around that, drive some traffic from Facebook. You know, people are exploring these non-Amazon channels, not because there's untapped traffic there as much as it is we want to at some point be able to say we're not completely dependent on Amazon. Um, and so if you think of what, what we're trying to do in our warehouses, if you land a full container of goods, we want to send 50% of that in to Amazon FBA. We want to send, you know, 25% of it. Uh, we want to keep it for, let's say, FBM. Uh, we want to keep the other 25% for your WooCommerce, Magento, um, uh, Shopify integration that uh, we're doing. And if you have some email marketing efforts, we'll fulfill it from our warehouse. So it's important to, to think about those strategies. It's a, it's a bit um, advanced level, but... Um, for the sellers who are there or sellers who are ready to start thinking about that, yeah, you, you should also be looking for a warehouse that can um, fulfill on, across any channel that, that you're selling on. And um, we're, we're trying to stay ahead of that. And oftentimes, I have to be honest, it's our clients who are telling us, um, you know, we, we've started this initiative. We want to sell here. Will you prep this product for Ulta Cosmetics? Will you send it into Nordstrom as a phone call I was on two days ago? So we're, we're adding the marketplaces and the channels as we go. And a lot of that's being um, helped and informed by our clients. Well, and like you said at the very beginning, uh, it's all about growth and scale. So you have to find a partner who can scale and find those solutions for you and help you diversify. Wait, not not away from Amazon, but let's say in addition to Amazon. Yeah, yeah. So like you said, you, you reduce your risk and you have more control over your future. Those are all really great things. And to have someone who's got some space, you got to have someone who has warehouse space because if you have to order, if you usually order a half a container and you need to order a full container because you don't know when the next half container might make it here, uh, you got to have a partner that can scale and give you the space to store that stuff while you figure out how you trickle that in. And uh, that's, I, I didn't see it coming two years ago. I don't think many of us did that. Uh, that was going to be so important that I would have warehouse space available because Amazon was supposed to be my warehouse. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and I, I don't know what the, what the future will hold. Amazon is, you know, a lot of people say, Oh, Amazon's not able to keep up with their growth. No, they're not. But keep in mind, Amazon is adding fulfillment centers left, right, center. They're adding yeah. them in Canada, they're adding them all over the U S they're building extremely quickly. And in any other time period, we would be just, our jaws would be on the floor with how impressive they are growing their fulfillment mm -hmm. network. The problem is with, with COVID and with e-commerce becoming really just an everyday occurrence for all of us, that's outpacing the growth that Amazon is able um, 
you know, to keep up with as far as their, their own um, retail footprint for their warehouses. So we don't really know what the future brings, but um, it's been, it's been strange. I'll, I do warehouse visits about 50% of the time. And as I've been in California where we have nine warehouses, uh, we often will see trailers parked outside of warehouses, which are there just for storage, meaning the warehouse floors are completely full. Every loading bay has a trailer in it and all the parking lots are full of trailers. And we're, you're seeing this across all industries. I mean, you know, I was, I was uh, near a, a tire plant and they had this same thing going on, completely different, nothing to do with Amazon, nothing, you know, maybe a little to do with e-commerce, but it's just, it's just what we're seeing across the supply chain in general. Right. We have a lot of warehouses uh, here where I live in Texas. And if you go by specifically, we have lots of Amazon warehouses. If you go by the Amazon warehouses, I've never seen so many trailers waiting as this year. Um, They're just dropped sitting uh, and waiting. And you're absolutely right. There's been critique of Amazon that I think has I'm the first one to tell you all the ways that Amazon messes up because I deal with Amazon problems all day, every day. That's what we do. However, um, the speed at which they have built out the warehouses and improved the logistics since COVID hit is astonishing. Uh, What they have accomplished is amazing. The number of people they've hired is mind blowing. All of that is absolutely incredible. So I I share everyone's frustration with the limits, uh, the the inbound limits at the Amazon warehouses. But at the same time, I get it. I I see what they're doing. They've really stepped up and they've invested. Um, so tell me in in 2022, if you pull out your crystal ball, uh, do you think it's going to be more of the same with the Long Beach congestion, the freight rates that are through the roof, uh, the problems with inbound? Um, I know it's it's hard to uh, predict these things, but tell me what you see with your expertise. Yeah. Um, all of my opinions just come from talking to 25, 50 people who know a lot more than me and then trying to summarize it. But this is what I would say. Um, as far as the supply chain issues, congestion at the ports, increased prices, that will continue to stay the same during 2022. As far as Amazon inbound storage limitations, that will slowly open up as soon as Q1. I think once we get through the Christmas rush, um, we'll, we'll see a lot of increased ability to send inventory into Amazon, um, which is great if you're a seller and let's say you manufacture in the US, then you've dodged a bullet. You don't have to worry about any of the supply chain issues, but I don't think the, uh, the congestion at the ports or the prices are going back to normal anytime soon. I think you will get more capacity at Amazon pretty soon. So. Uh, we've seen a lot of our largest clients start to, you know, and, and and it's tough to say, is it because Amazon's opening up or is it because it's now been a few months and people who are trying to um, trying to use the algorithm to their advantage by saying, OK, these SKUs have a super high velocity, and high sales. So we're going to send in more inventory of that. You know, people are looking at all different ways to get their storage uh, limits to, to open up and increase. But um, again, you, you our clients are seeing relief already and everyone's anticipating even in, as soon as January to see even more of that. Um, that doesn't do much though, if you can't get your inventory information. So. Right. Absolutely. And really I will, I will sing the same song that I've actually been singing since before COVID 
which is if we've learned anything through all of this, man, you've got to have a merchant fulfilled strategy. You've got to have a strategy to be on other platforms as well. But if nothing else, if you're all Amazon, you've got to have a merchant fulfilled strategy. You've got to have backup plans for your inventory um, because, you know, there is no guarantee that things are going to go back to normal and then really go back to normal. There could We could start all over again with the COVID nonsense. We could start all over again with the supply chain issues. And my goodness, it would be even harder to unravel then. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think that's, I think that's great advice you're giving to people. Um, I've heard, you know, probably 10 different reasons why people's listings or accounts were taken down. Um, mainly like when, when their ASINs go down, for something that doesn't have to do with inventory. We're talking about staying in stock, staying in stock. And then someone says, well, I, I should be in stock, but it's taken Amazon three weeks to check in my inventory. It's like, yeah, it's a great time to have a merchant uh, fulfilled listing up so that, that you don't you know, lose sales. But what people often don't understand if they haven't gone out of stock for any good period of time before is that what you don't want is, is your BSR um, to get too high. You know, said another way, you don't want to end up on page 10 because you were out of stock when a merchant fulfilled listing would have kept you higher. So it's not just about inventory. Um, of course, you want to capture and, and retain as much revenue as you can. But there are other issues when you do go out of stock that you're probably not thinking about because it's sort of like the the second wave of, oh, oh shucks, what's happening in my business that, that actually has like long-term effects. And it's really hard to climb back up from that. Um, so I... I I've seen it more times than I care to count. And in usually it's pretty painful um, month for your business. If you go out of stock, always good idea to have a merchant fulfilled listing on. And we have clients who have the capacity in FBA to send in hundred percent. And they say, Hey, could you save five or 10% at your warehouse for merchant fulfilled listings? You know, and they say, I just want to be sure. And that's, that's the right move. Oh yeah. You spent way too much money on your PPC and you know your videos and your content on your listing and optimizing you spend way too much money on all of that to get your listing where it is and your bestseller rank where it is to lose it all in two or three weeks and then have to climb out of that hole it can take months to climb out of that hole absolutely and plus even when let's say amazon solves all the capacity issues and they're receiving stuff on time and which, you know, that's never really going to happen. But let's pretend that in this ideal world that everything is super great at all the Amazon warehouses, they are still going to throw your stuff into transship and it's all going to disappear out of your available inventory. And you're going to have 5000 units sitting in transship and it's going to take some stupid amount of time to move. And you don't know why. I mean, these things are still going to happen. We've had clients who've had inventory stuck in transship so long that it actually reached a point that it was appealable, which is 30 days. After 30 days, you can actually hire someone like us to go yell at FBA and then yell at executives and say, please, dear God, help us because we've been in transship for 45 days and uh, to get that fixed. Um, it, it happens frequently enough for that to be a service that we offer. So, so that tells you, you have really got to have that merchant fulfilled option because even if everything were swimmingly at Amazon, um, they're still going to sideline your inventory sometime for a reason that is not related to an ASIN uh, suspension. Yeah. Yeah. 
Unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, okay. So before we finish up, we have to do a little bit of shilling. <laughs> we have to do a little bit of shilling here, Taylor. So uh, first of all, if people want to reach you and learn more, what is the best way for them to find out more about your company? Yeah, go to myfbaprep.com, uh, or you can also just Google FBA Prep, and you'll you'll see us right at the top there. Awesome. And then for my part, uh, so right now what I am pushing for Riverbend is the Surge Summit. So folks, if you want to learn more about logistics, we are going to have a fantastic panel talking about all things logistics and prep and all that good stuff at the Surge Summit, which is coming up in February. And so I'm hoping that you will go to thesurgesummit.com and check it out. It is going to be the best event in 2022, I promise you, because we're going to have amazing content plus fun stuff to do. So included in the ticket price, you get to go on a cruise, you get to hang out at an arcade, you get to actually talk to the speakers and network with the people who are there. Uh, but we're also going to have fantastic content with no selling from the stage so that you can really learn more to help move your Amazon business forward. and. Uh, if you buy right now, we have early bird pricing for December and going into early January and also a free ticket to a VIP party the first night. So go and buy your ticket right now before all that good stuff disappears. So I, I'm really not good at selling, but I can sell things that I'm excited about. And I'm super excited about this event in Tampa. It's going to be awesome. My my partner lives uh, about an hour away from from there, and uh, he was just talking about it one week ago. Um, got the email and said, "Hey guys, should we should we do search summit?" I said, "Let's put it on the calendar." So you'll uh, you'll very likely see me there. Awesome! That'll be so fantastic, and I'm hoping we're going to see a lot of our favorite sellers there as well. And who doesn't want to be in Florida in February when it's cold almost everywhere else? So. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Taylor. This has been really awesome. You've given out a lot of great information. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Leslie. And everyone else out there, please be sure and follow us and comment and do all those things. If you have any questions for a future happy hour, throw them in the comments. We monitor them. We will be sure and answer them later. And everyone enjoy the end of peak and happy selling.